Well, God, we come to you in the name of Jesus, knowing that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And Father, we thank you for the fact that you have blessed us with fathers that we can learn from, that we can enjoy, that we can hang out with. And Father, I know that today there are people here who have lost a dad, who are missing something just because they are missing out on that relationship. But God, we thank you for the promise and the hope that those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, we will see again, that we will one day be standing side to side celebrating the name of Jesus in heaven. And Father, we thank you for that. And we thank you for the promise we have that we are offered life and life more abundantly in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter 19, last week we left off in verse 18, and if you will remember when we were talking in verse 18, Paul wraps up uh, verse 18 by saying this, what does it matter? The important thing that is, is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And he says, and because of this, I will rejoice. I will rejoice because Christ is preached first and foremost. And he goes on into verse the end of verse 18 and on into verse 19, and he says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And I eagerly expect and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then we get to the most Famous verse probably for Paul's ministry, one that most people know or memorize in some way, shape, or form as they're growing up. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two, two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. As you think about those things, I want you to understand and realize where we're going. And the the idea today is this joy in in fruitful labor. See, Paul continues his thoughts on rejoicing. He talks about rejoicing that the name of Jesus is proclaimed and preached, whether from false motives or true, not false doctrine, but false motives. In other words, a person who approaches ministry with the idea, what's in it for me? Or a person who preaches the gospel out of what's in it for me, instead of getting to a mentality of, I get to worship and celebrate Christ and what Christ has done. And Paul is getting to this for a very simple reason, because a lot of us want to approach Christianity with this mentality. What's in it for me, right? I mean, that's usually the problem. Matter of fact, as a pastor, I've had people say, you're not feeding me, all right? I've heard that in the past. You're not feeding me. The reality is this. If you're waiting to be fed solely on Sunday morning, guess what? You're starving. I mean, if you ate once a week, you would be hungry, would you not? 
And the reality is a lot of people approach church from that mentality. A lot of people approach their relationship with Jesus on that mentality. And that is that you don't read the word. You're not fed. You're not spiritually nourished. You're not growing. And as a result of that, you're malnourished. You're unhealthy. And then when it comes down to it, the person says, it's your fault. You're not feeding me. And Paul's trying to get something across very simply, and that's this. When we approach Christianity from a what's-in-it-for-me standpoint, we miss out on the true joy of what it means to be a Christian. And here's why we get that, because Paul is in prison for it. What did he gain as a result of his relationship with Christ? Prison, chains, torture, persecution, things like that. Now, most people today, if you said, hey, if you accept Christ, you're going to be put in prison, you're going to be tortured, you're going to be abused, you're not going to be around your family, I don't see many people walking through the doors of that church, I don't see many people flocking to the aisles at times, why? Because they go, well, that's not really what I want to follow Jesus for, I want to follow Jesus for a get-rich-quick scheme, I want to follow Jesus so that I have the blessings and not the, the struggles, that I have all the benefits, but I don't reap the consequences of what it means to follow Christ. And so Paul is laying this out, and I want to ask you this question. What's in it for you? I want to ask you this. Do you recognize these names? Nate Saint, Roger Yurdian, Ed McCauley, Peter Fleming, and Jim Elliott. Anybody know those names? You might have heard Jim Elliott. Maybe you've heard all of them. Maybe you've watched the movie that's, that's represented their kind of a life story there, uh, of, of these five gentlemen who went down to Ecuador to reach these Aka Indians and these Aka Indians. And, and, and in 1955, I'm just going to read this because I think it's phenomenal. But in 1955, these five young men, all under the age of 35, most of them under the age of 25, uh, they gathered in Ecuador with a vision of reaching a tribe of Indians called the Akas. And this word, this, this, this Aka term, literally means savage. And it's a name given to them, these Indians, by the other tribes because these people were savage. Then they lived deep in the rainforest of Ecuador. And no one had ever presented the gospel to them. And so these five missionaries, all trained, all deeply devoted God, began to pray about ways to make contact with these Indians in Ecuador. In September, they began flying over the village and they were lowering pots containing gifts for the Indians. And eventually the Akas took the gifts and, and replaced them with simple gifts of their own. And so in January 1956, these five men decided the time had come to make contact in person. And after much prayer, they established a base camp at a sandy beach on the Kure, I'm going to say this right, Kure River on January 8th, 1956. At about 3.30 p.m. that day, they were speared to death by the Indians who had mistakenly thought they had come to hunt them and hurt them. Now, while that story may just be a beginning thing, I want you to understand this, that Jim Elliott is famous for saying this, this most famous statement of him, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And this flows from the heart of a man who had an eternal perspective on fruitful labor. And I want to ask you that. Do you have an eternal perspective on a fruitful, laboring life? See, in his diary, Jim Elliott wrote this, God, I pray to you that you would light these idle sticks of my life 
that I may burn for you. Consume my life, God, for it is yours. And then he wrote, I seek not a long life, but a full life like that of Jesus Christ. And the very fact that he died taking the gospel to the Akas was a stepping stone for the tribe to come to Christ eventually. See, his life was full because he has inspired many to live with an eternal perspective. And I think that that's what we have to begin to look at. And we have to begin to say his life was like Christ, not a long life, but a full life. I want to ask you that. Have you settled for a simple life that says, you know what, if it costs me, okay, if not, no big deal. Or are you settling for a full life? Are you striving for a full life in Christ? Because Paul is laying this out in this very simple way for us to understand what the secret to success is. Not the worldly idea of secret to success, but what the secret to success is in the Christian life. What does it mean to be successful? What does it look like in your life? And Paul's secret to success is really wrapped up in one verse here. And he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And there's a benefit on both of those situations that we oftentimes overlook and miss. So don't miss the point, all right? I want to ask you, how would you complete this sentence? For me to live is, especially on Father's Day. You know, it's funny. Matter of fact, I, I saw this uh, today, one of my buddies posted on but uh, What's funny on Mother's Day is on Mother's Day, people tend to go to church. On Father's Day, people tend to go to the lake or to baseball or wherever else, fishing, whatever, you name it, all right? And the reality is this, and I'm just going to kind of step on a few toes here, men, is oftentimes that's because men tend to want to go that direction for some reason. Instead of leading a strong, obedient life to what God has called me to do, sometimes we're like, we just got to get away. And what I want to challenge you with is this. For me to live is fill in your blank. Because the reality is when you start to hear, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, a lot of people immediately go, whew, dying. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not so sure that that's quite the gain I was thinking. And so I want to challenge you today is to ask yourself this question. What is the secret to success in my life? And if you remember anything, I want you to remember this. We must have a settled conviction that our main purpose in living is to glorify Christ in everything that we do. We have to have a settled conviction that our main purpose in living is to glorify Christ in everything I do. To live or to die, I glorify Christ in everything that I do do. Recently, and I tell you my stories about softball rather frequently, but um, I don't tell people I'm a pastor, all right? Not, not that I'm trying to hide it. It's just people treat you differently once they find out they're a pastor. Let me use this example. Two Wednesday or three Wednesday nights ago, um, I play on Wednesday night softball down in Lee Summit with a bunch of, of, there's a couple Christians on the team, me and two other guys, uh, but the rest of the guys aren't. All right, and they are, I mean, they drink while we're playing softball, just the way it is, all right? They smoke, they cuss, they do all that stuff, all right? And so we're sitting there, and I just got done. I don't remember what happened. I scored. Anyways, I come in, I sit down, and one of the guys is going crazy. Like every other word out of his mouth is just, whew, you know, it's very colorful. And he's going off, and one of the guys all of a sudden says, hey, he's a pastor. And the demeanor completely changed. And it was like confession. 
I mean, he was up in front of me going, I am so sorry. Can you forgive me? I, did. I used to go to church. I haven't been to church in 15 years. I know what I'm doing is not right. I mean, it was just, he was spilling his guts. And now he calls me pastor. So I'm out on the field. I make a play at shortstop. I throw the guy out at first. He's like, great play, pastor. So now guess what happens? Every time I would come up to bat, you know what the catcher does? Are you really a pastor? Yeah. And you know, it's opened up, it's, it's, it's kind of cool though, because it's opened up opportunities. Because you know what guys do? What, matter of fact, this last Wednesday, the guy goes, hey, we go to church in Blue Springs. Oh yeah? So we're having a conversation as I'm getting ready to hit between me and him. And the ump goes, well, I don't go to church anywhere. Oh, well, hey, you could come to our church. Where do you live? Well, I live in Blue Springs. Well, hey, go to his church. And he's like, oh, okay. You know, and so we've got these conversations going on. In everything that you do, I want to challenge you that what you do in your life matters. For me to live is Christ. My fruitful labor that I bear in my life is a result of what Christ has done in me. And Paul's going to lay those things out. So we must have a settled conviction that our main purpose is in living is to glorify Christ. So here's the question. How can we live to glorify Christ? And I think Paul lays out some very simple things that I want to answer in this. How can we live to glorify Christ? Number one, know that what happens to you is for your deliverance. Listen to what he says again in verse 19. I will continue re to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my what? Deliverance, for my good, for the benefit of me, regardless of whether it's persecution and chains, regardless if it's the death of a loved one, what has happened to me will happen for my deliverance. And what I love about how Paul starts this off is when we attempt to do things on our own, we're always going to feel isolated and overwhelmed and weak and insecure. But listen to what he says again. I know that through your what? Prayers. Paul is acknowledging the fact that he knows the Philippian church is praying for him on a daily basis. And he says, I thank you for your prayers. I need your prayers. I want your prayers because why your prayers benefit me. See, we can gain great strength and encouragement through the prayers of others. And here's the benefit. When you tell somebody, hey, I'm praying for you, don't just speak it, do it. And then call them up. How's things going? What's going on? How can I pray for you? What's, what's happening here? Matter of fact, I'll just plug this out there. We're trying to re, uh, reorganize our prayer chain. If you're interested in being part of the prayer chain and you're not on Facebook, I'm part of our prayer chain that's already on Facebook, talk to Bethany. Bethany's getting it all lined out. See her. We want to make sure our phone stuff is up and, and going and ready. But I want to encourage you with this, that we have to know that what happens is for our deliverance. And listen again to what he says. I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of who? Jesus Christ. Through your prayers and the help given through the Spirit of Jesus Christ, I realize or I know that what has happened is happening for my deliverance is what he's saying. Do you hear what he's saying? He was encouraged he was built up. He understood that the situation he was in through the prayers of the people praying for him and the Holy Spirit working in his life, he realized that what he's going through was set up for his deliverance. So he's acknowledging this fact. And he may be looking at it from an eternal standpoint. He may be thinking, man, I'm about to die. 
There's a great possibility I'm about to die, and I'm looking at it this way. It is all for gain. But it's all happening for my deliverance. See, Paul knew he could count on the Philippians' prayer and the help and power given through the Holy Spirit. And so he says that he's depending on these two things, the prayers of his friends and the work of the Holy Spirit on his behalf. And I want to ask you, do you depend on those two things, the prayers of your friends and people praying for you and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you depend on that? Because that is what's going to get you through the deliverance aspect. When tough things happen, it's the prayers of your friends and the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. If you try and go at it alone, you're always going to sink, you're always going to fail. But when you go through the tough things with people who can encourage you, help you, build you up, love on you, support you, and you rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit, you're set up to succeed. That's the secret of success. What makes five men, honestly, I mean, I'm sitting here going, wow, that's boldness. Remember Paul talking about fearlessly and courageously last week? That is boldness. Knowing that based upon their name, these people were savage people. And yet they went to the uttermost parts to deliver the gospel to those people. The Aka Indians in Ecuador. That is knowing that what happens, happens for our deliverance. Do you live a full life? Or are you living a shallow, meaningless life? Number two, how can we live to glorify God? I believe we walk with great courage in Christ. We walk with great courage in Christ. Look at verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have what? Sufficient courage. Do you see what he's saying? Sufficient. It carries a meaning that there is enough to get you through. There is sufficient courage to get you through each and every struggle and situation you face. Sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. The secret to success is that, to have a sufficient courage, enough to get by. The Holy Spirit will always provide you enough courage to get through the deepest, darkest time you're going through, through the biggest struggle you face, through the the biggest depression you're walking through. Whatever that situation is, the Holy Spirit always provides it. Always. So when you ask the question, what's in it for me? The Holy Spirit's in it for you. So that when you face the struggles, when you face the difficulties, when you face the trials and the temptations, he is right there to lift you up, to help you out, and to give you, listen, sufficient courage to face what you face. Walk with great courage in Christ. Why? Because that's what he wants for you. And Paul was laying this out. Remember, this guy is in chains. He's not in chains for any other reason than he was preaching the gospel. And I know in the United States, we have a hard time believing that. But there are countries all around the world that it's happening. Continues to happen. As a matter of fact, in our life group last week, in the midst of finding some information on on the, the, uh, the 21 martyrs of Egypt last week, I actually watched a woman, I say watched, I saw a video clip, most of it's blacked out, of a woman in Afghanistan who was a Christian who was stoned to death. They found out she was a Christian, The police tried to protect her. The people overran the police and stoned her to death. A believer in Afghanistan. 
It's happening. It happens. We just are over here in a very blessed country that we don't experience it and we don't see it near what people are doing around the world. Walk with great courage in Christ. When you face, listen to me, when you face struggles at work because of your faith in Christ, walk with courage. Why? Not because of anything you do, because the power of the Holy Spirit is in you. He will give you the courage to walk boldly with courage and fearlessness. Walk with great courage in Christ, trusting in Christ. See, we can't allow the fear of death. We can't allow the fear of persecution. We can't allow the fear of losing friends to force us to live in a different way. Rather, our life should glorify Christ as if we die, then Christ is glorified in everything that I do. If I die, so what? If I live, guess what? That means fruitful labor. Number three, how can we live to glorify Christ? I believe we passionately pursue devotion to Jesus. Listen to what he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Here's the idea, and when we talk about a passionate pursuit, Paul says this because Christ was absolutely, positively the first thing in his life. There was no doubt where he stood. He stood with Jesus Christ. His priority was Christ because of what Christ had done for him. He took a sinner who was the worst among all. That's what Paul calls himself. I'm the worst of all. And he saved him by his grace. And he lays this out. And so Paul says, hey, for me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. The reality of that matter is this. Paul is saying, if I continue to live, I just continue to glorify Christ more and more. Remember the prison guards chained to Paul? Paul says, go ahead, keep me around. I don't care. The longer you keep me around, the more people are going to hear. So for me to live, that's Christ. That's Christ to this guy. That's Christ to that guy. That's Christ to this guy. Every word, every action, everything in my body is going to breathe Christ, is going to proclaim Christ, is going to represent Christ in everything I do. For me to live is Christ, but for me to die is gain. And he lays that out. Why? Because if he dies, who is he literally with? Jesus Christ. And so he lays this beautiful picture out for him to literally live is to have Christ, but to die is even to gain more and more of Christ. This, the longer I live, the more people will see Christ in me and experience Christ through me. Does that represent your life? The longer you live, the more people will see Christ in me and experience Christ through me. Does that represent you? Are you living that out? Are you devoted, passionately pursuing devotion to Jesus Christ? Or are you walking through the motions? Because I know in America, listen, and I'm not trying to be negative here, but in America, it's easy to go to church. It's easy, you know? If, if we didn't have AC, I'm kind of curious. I wonder how many people would be here, honestly. I, I really, you know, hey, no AC. Matter of fact, I'm, Nothing against, I know churches are closed around Kansas City right now because they have no power. Why? There's no power. Who cares? Sing with candles. Sing with no sound. Stand outside. Who cares? But I, I, I'm, and I'm not, I'm not trying to bash those churches. What I'm saying is, in America, what we do is we're like, oh, sorry, just, it's going to be too hard to go to church today. Too hard to hang out with the brothers. It's going to be too complicated, too difficult. 
What if there were guards outside churches? What if there were people on the way, they knew you were going to church, and they could kidnap you and take you off away from your family? What if you had to meet in a dark room somewhere and you had to sing quietly because you didn't want the neighbors to hear while you're celebrating worshiping Jesus because those neighbors might call the authorities and have you come and get arrested? Would you show up? Or would you just be like, no, you know what, I'm going to stay at home, take it easy, play it safe, we're good. The cost to follow Christ is great. The cost to be obedient to Jesus is even greater. Because sometimes obedience is going to cost you. Just as it cost those men. Here's the beauty of that. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Gain is actually a monetary term that means to make a profit. Or to make a proper investment. So to die is a proper investment in what's going on. Why? Because he gains eternally what has already been promised to him. So for Paul, for me to live as Christ, to, to die is gain. If Paul is executed, he just says, that means the goal of living has been reached. I am finally done, and I have truly gained Christ. And I think there's a balance there. We have to begin to understand God's sovereignty and what takes place. If it's your time to die, I think it's your time to die. Now, I'm not telling you to go running out in front of a semi-truck. Hey, if it's my time to die, I guess I'm just going to die. I'm not saying that. All right? But the reality of this is here, Paul is basically laying everything in his life in the hands of Jesus, saying, whatever, whatever it is, do whatever you have to do with me. Use me up, pour me out. Matter of fact, I think there's a verse in, in Romans, pour me out like a drink offering. I'm already being offered up like that. So passionately pursue devotion to Christ. Look at number four. How can we live to glorify Christ? Number four, we live for fruitful labor. Listen to what he says in verse 22. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean, what's he say? Fruitful labor for me. Live for fruitful labor. Are the things that you're doing, the very things that you're involved in, bearing fruit in your life and the lives of others, or are they not? If they're not bearing fruit, they may not be the good things. They may be the things that God needs to prune and remove and cut out and get away from, because fruitful labor is what he says. The longer I go on living is what he says. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? There's a confusion here, right? Matter of fact, I remember when my, grand, well, my grandma still says it. My grandfather's been dead uh, now 17 years, both of them, 17 and 18 years. Um, and both of my grandmas are like, oh, I just can't wait. I want to be in heaven. Not, and it's not just a, um, uh, they want to be with family, reunite with family, but it's, it's they want to be with Jesus. My grandmas have both said that. I'm ready to go and be with the Lord. They're all 90, they're both 93. They talk about it. And I remember when they first started that, right after both my grandfathers died, I was like 25. And I'm like, you're crazy. I'm 25. There's so much stuff I want to do. And what I realized is that is selfishness on my part. That I looked at life as it's a benefit for me. Like the more I do, the better person I am. When the reality is who I believe in makes me the 
better person. If I put my faith and trust in Christ, then I am made righteous. And it's not based upon what I do and how well I lead my family. And all those things are benefits, but it's how I live my life in relationship with Christ. Am I being obedient to him day in and day out? Am I teaching my kids that it's more important to follow something or someone else rather than Jesus on a daily basis? Do the people I'm around see Jesus lived out in me, or do they see Brian Grout and barely see any Jesus? Maybe no Jesus. So Paul goes on and he says, If I'm to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? There's a confusion. I do not know. He says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. We can say that's the eternal standard we want to see. We want to experience life with Christ in heaven. But listen to what he says. It's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. See, to live is fruitful labor in Christ. And living for Jesus means bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. Everything he was and everything he did was for Christ. Everything you are and everything you do should be for Christ and for his benefit and for the building of his kingdom. That was his consuming passion. So to be successful in Paul's standard was to say, I will be obedient to Jesus no matter what, no matter the cost, I'm going to proclaim the gospel. To me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Everything else is secondary. And I want to follow him with utter complete passion and compassion for everybody. And so I ask you this, do you make each day count? Do you make the best of every opportunity in every situation you're in? See, Paul's reality here is this, that he belonged to a cause that was so much bigger than just him. He belonged to the body of Christ, the kingdom of God. He was obedient to Jesus. He said, I belong to a cause that's so much bigger than my life. As a matter of fact, if you know our vision statement to believe the truth of Jesus Christ, to belong to a cause bigger than yourself, to become everything that God created you to be, that God has called you to be and to be sent to your neighbors and the nations. That's to live as Christ and to die as gain. That in each and every situation I'm in, that I realize the benefit is not for me, but the benefit is for the kingdom and for God's glory. See, I want to challenge you that you let the gospel encourage you to love others, to serve others, and to remain faithful to Jesus. That is fruitful labor. If you're obedient and bearing fruit to Jesus Christ, you will be successful regardless of what the world says. Because the world would look at Paul and say, that dude's a loser. That dude was a no good scumbag. That guy amounted to nothing. He gave up everything so he could stay in prison. That's what the world would say. That guy was dumb. And Paul says, no, 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 it was all gain. Everything I did, everything I live for, everything I stand for points back to Christ, reflects Christ, and shows people exactly what I believe. Because Jesus is all, and he wants everybody to know who he is. So we experience, we live for fruitful labor. Paul wanted to make each day count. And that was his joyous purpose. And then number five, how can we live to glorify Christ? 
And I believe this simply this, that we encourage others in growth and joy. Listen to what Paul says. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. Listen to what he says. He, he struggles between life and death. It's, it's better for me to die and go see Jesus, but he says, I know I'm going to stay here, and since I'm convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your, listen, progress and joy in the faith. Hear what he's saying? For your growth and for your joy in the faith. You know what's funny about persecution as you see it take place around the world, as you read about it. Matter of fact, you can go and read about it. Voice of the Martyrs, there's the persecuted church. There's a number of websites. There is a number of, of organizations that support things like that or that, that, that document that stuff. But as you read it, what's funny is as persecution increases, the boldness, the courage, the fearlessness of the believers around there goes through the roof. And so Paul says, hey, look, what is happening to me? I'm going to remain in this situation and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. And he says, so that through my being again with you or with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. Paul has it, and I think that Paul had a great relationship with Jesus. He knew what was going on, that in some way the Holy Spirit revealed to him, hey, you're not done yet. You're far from finished. You're going to be released. You're going to go back to the Philippian church. You're going to be able to encourage and exhort them. And so Paul lays out this beautiful thing. He says, I'm going to encourage you. And as I do this, it's for your progress and your joy in the faith. I would even challenge you, if you have the internet at home, for some of you, go home and look up the persecuted church. Go home and look up Voice of the Martyrs and read about some of the persecution that goes on around the world. And you'll start to realize how we as Americans, what we call persecution is nothing. And I hope it will encourage you. It will give you joy. It will push you to grow more and more so that you can encourage others and be a benefit and do what God wants you to do. See, Paul says he will remain for your progress and joy in the faith. And so as a result, those that are there are going to be encouraged and their joy in Christ will overflow. What's the Bible say? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth, what? Speaks. That your joy will overflow. As a result of what has happened in Paul's life, Paul says, I want your joy to overflow. Because of what I've gone through. That brings us back to the five young men who gave their lives to reach the Aka Indians in 1956. At the time, it seemed really to be a tragedy. It seemed to be useless. It seemed to be carelessness to so many people with no redeeming purpose. But I want you to listen to these results. An Indian Bible school, or excuse me, Indian Bible schools in Ecuador began to grow and were filled to overflowing with native believers desiring to learn God's word. Rachel Saint and Elizabeth Elliot, Rachel Saint was the sister of Nate Saint, Elizabeth Elliot is the widow of Jim Elliot. Matter of fact, Elizabeth Elliot wrote a great book, phenomenal book, if you're into dating or need to look into dating, uh, 
dadgummit, what is it called? Passion and Purity. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot wrote this book, um, and it's based upon her experience as well with her dating relationship with Jim Elliot. But Rachel Saint, the sister, and Elizabeth Elliot, the widow, moved, listen to this, moved into an Aachen village to begin the process of Bible translation after their relatives were killed. Nine years later, two of the Akas who helped kill the five missionaries had come to Christ and listened to the beauty of this story and later baptized Kathy and Steve Saint, the daughter and son of Nate Saint. The missionary who was killed, later his sister leads some of them to Christ and those who were led to Christ baptized the son of the missionary who was killed and daughter. If that's not a God thing, I don't know what to say. Because that is a Jesus thing that takes place. People who were sold out and committed, who to live was Christ and to die was gain. And now a flourishing church has been established among the Akas and other neighboring tribes. And in 1995, Steve Saint, the one who was baptized, the son, moved back among the Akas to live with them at their request. And he remains there, at least from what I understand, to today. That's the call that Jesus lays out. And sadly, in American church, in American culture, to a certain extent, we say, what's in it for me? When Jesus says, I've given you everything you need. I have offered you everything you could ever ask for. And that is life and life more abundantly in Christ. And so the question I asked you earlier to me was this, to live is what? Fill in the blank. Because anything else other than Christ is not going to lead you to the successful life that Jesus has planned for you, but is only going to lead you down the road that the rest of the world is chasing. No hope, no promise, no eternity. To live as Christ, that I would bear fruitful labor in the name of Jesus. And if I die, guess what? It means nothing. Because I don't fear the man who can kill this body. I only fear the one who can destroy the soul. And so Paul recognizes that. Paul preaches it. And Paul lives it. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Remember this statement as we close. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool to gain what he cannot keep, or uh, to give up what he cannot keep, to gain that which he cannot lose. Maybe you need to commit that to memory. Maybe you need to just reflect and realize to live is Christ and to die is gain. What does it cost you in following Jesus on a daily basis? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that regardless of what you or what we have done, you sent your son Jesus Christ That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That Jesus lived a perfect, perfect, sinless life. 
He walked through the same temptations, the same difficulties, the struggles we face day in and day out, yet he was without sin. And he willingly and obediently went to the cross. And as he went to the cross, he bore the weight of the sin of the world upon his shoulders. And whether we choose to believe it or not, he still died for us. But he did not stop there. After three days in the grave, he rose again, defeating sin, defeating death, offering life and life more abundant. And God, we thank you for the promised hope that we have. That to live is Christ and to die is gain because we don't have to fear what man can do to our physical bodies. That we can be obedient to what you have called us to do. We can live and bear fruitful labor if we continue going on living. And we can die and if we die it is just gain because we have gained you in eternity. And we thank you for that. And so as we sing this song, as we respond to what you have done through the truth of your word, may your spirit be the convicting one. May you call us to do what you want us to do. May we be obedient no matter what the cost. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. May this church be a lighthouse to those who are walking in darkness. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we stand